Hola. ¿Cómo estás? Muy bien. Ah, este, Joims. Jo. Joims. <laughs> Jose. Jose. Jo. With extra j. With extra jo. This episode is sponsored by Hire.com. Every week on Hire, they run an auction where over a thousand tech companies in San Francisco, New York, and LA bid on JavaScript developers, providing them with the salary and equity up front. The average JavaScript developer gets an average of five to 15 introductory offers and an average salary of over $130,000 a year. Users can either accept an offer and go right into interviewing with the company or deny them without any continuing obligations. It's totally free for users, and when you're hired, they also give you a $2,000 signing bonus as a thank you for using them. But if you use the Adventures in Angular link, you'll get a $4,000 bonus instead. Finally, if you're not looking for a job but know someone who is, you can refer them to Hired and get a $1,337 bonus if they accept a job. Go sign up at Hired.com slash Adventures in Angular. Does your team need to master AngularJS? Oasis Digital offers Angular Bootcamp, a three-day in-person workshop class for individuals or teams. Bring us to your site or send developers to ours, angularbootcamp.com. This episode is sponsored by HTML5, a brand new generation of JavaScript controls. A pretty amazing line of HTML5 and JavaScript products for enterprise application development in HTML5 leverages ECMAScript 5 and each control ships with AngularJS directly. Check out the faster, lighter, and more mobile HTML5. This episode is sponsored by DigitalOcean. DigitalOcean is the provider I use to host all of my creations. All the shows are hosted there, along with any other projects I come up with. Their user interface is simple and easy to use, their support is excellent, and their VPSs are backed on solid-state drives and are fast and responsive. Check them out at DigitalOcean.com. If you use the code AngularAdventures, you'll get a $10 credit. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Adventures in Angular podcast, episode number 46. Today on our panel, we have Lucas Rubelke. Hello. And Kati Eames. Hello. And I'm your host, Joe Eames, and we have a very, very garishly dressed special guest. I thought he was going to say handsome. <laughs> garishly handsome. Garishly handsome garishly. guest, Shai Resnick. Hi, guys. Hello again. I didn't know I need to be dressed up for this occasion. So I'm currently sitting like without... No, so it's an all-family episode, so I won't say it. So, hello. Hands on. <laughs> yeah. Shai, you may or may not know from his NGWAT talk at NGConf 2015, which was an amazing talk. If you haven't seen it, I highly recommend you go and see it. And today we're going to be talking about preparing for Angular 2. Yeah. Amazing. So let's get started. I think first off, Shai, we ought to talk about a little bit about Angular 2 and stuff that you've done with it. And then let's start talking about how people can get prepared for when it comes out. Coolness. So for those of you who didn't listen uh, to the last episode I was on, I'm Shai Resnick. I run online training school called HiRes.io. And the first video I did as a short tutorial part of a course was how to prepare your code to an Angular 2.0. So this was meant to be a free course or this was the, the plan. And it will be a free course under the IRES uh, IO website. So part of it will be on YouTube and the other part will be on the website. So, but it will be free. So 
I got to Angular 2.0 like everyone else, starting in with the NG Europe announcement, where uh, <laughs> yeah, we found out that Angular 1.0 is going to be killed <laughs> violently, <laughs> violently. And that's around the time that I got curious about Angular 2.0, and I knew that they were trying to have a joke with it, and it didn't go so well. <laughs> and yeah, we learned since then that it's not going to be dead. It's going to have migration path from 1.x to 2.0. And I work as a consultant with a few enterprise companies uh, building large-scale applications. So my first goal was to understand how can we leverage our current Angular 1.x code and prepare it for the future. So the migration process to Angular 2.0 will be as, I don't know, less painful as possible, if I can phrase it like that. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah. let's talk about that, that painful, less painful as possible. Obviously, it could be more painful, but it's not going to be as simple as just flipping the libraries from Angular 1 to Angular 2. Yeah, but it never is, right? From any breaking changes to a version to another. It's never like flipping a switch. But there are stuff that you can do and nobody can predict the future, right? Stuff are changing constantly every hour these days in Angular 2. But you have some solid principles that I think are here to stay because they're mainly based on ECMAScript 6 which is pretty solid and will be the future and will be how we are going to code in the future. Let me jump in here, Shai, and just ask you personally. Mm. How do you feel about the radical change coming in Angular 2, that it's not just a very small iteration on Angular 1, but actually you know, a completely non-backwards compatible change? What do you think of that? I think it's an inevitable step. Why? Because, as I said before about ECMAScript 6, if you look towards the future, our code will change, right? We'll have different APIs. And uh, the smart thing I think that the Angular team did is to align themselves to the future and not try to diverse from it. And so I think a lot of the radical changes that we see are the Angular team's efforts to try and and stick as much as they can to the ECMAScript 6 spec. And people are complaining because every change I think people will complain about. And I don't think that a lot of people, at least that I'm talking with, really dig in and read why the why and hows uh, behind the whole Angular 2 thing. But I think it's not if you compare it to ECMAScript 6, like syntax, and the stuff they are adding is stuff that you want to see in ECMAScript 7, right? I think that historically, this was the thing with Angular. So Mishko and Igor, when they first started like working on it, and uh, I think Mishko, Mishko started and Igor joined him, and they always said from the start that they want to build the future JavaScript that we can all use right now. 
and future frame framework you mean yeah a future framework and uh, and the future apis that uh, we could use in the next version of javascript and if we or html5 or whatever you you want to call it and i think they did it right with directives if you look at it now the stuff we have with web components and uh, polymer and stuff uh, so they did it before it was like a official spec and what we are all going to use in the future. So I think they're doing the same thing with Angular 2, with uh, annotations, for example. So they're aiming for, I think that the, the annotation is part of ECMAScript 7, if I'm not mistaken. Yes. Yeah, they're, they're decorators. Decorators, yeah. So there's actually a really interesting article I just read. Mm -hmm. I can't remember. I think it was Pavel who wrote it. He's talking about the difference between annotations and decorators. Mm -hmm. Annotations were basically an idea by the Angular team. And then they got together with Yehuda Katz, mm -hmm. who he had been doing some work on a similar idea. You know, basically just metadata that you can add to a class in JavaScript, mm -hmm. right? And he had come back and said, well, that's a good idea, but it, what you're talking about is very specific. What if we made it more generic? And so he came up with this decorated proposal that's now an official proposal for ECMAScript 7. Mm. Or is it JS 2016? Is that what we're supposed to call it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. His idea, sorry to cut you off, his idea does what annotations does and more. And it's kind of cool. So that little article by Pavel, I'll put it into the show notes, uh, is a very good read if you're interested at all in that. So I feel like a prophet, right, when I read this stuff because it's a glimpse to the future, right? How we things will probably look at the one year or two year. And nobody knows, right? The world we are living in changes so much. So nobody can really tell what, <laughs> uh, with this fast pace, what will be here, what we will write in two years, if there even will be, uh, I don't know, what will be the fashion in that time or the hottest new thing and, and stuff like that. But the basic principles of architecture and uh, web developments are, I think, or uh, programming in general, are here to stay, right? If you look, right. Uh, if you look towards the future. I think to make it less painful means that in terms of visualization, if you look at your code, if you have like a team of 20 developers that are used to writing their code in a certain way, when you introduce new concepts to them, I think that the, it sounds maybe silly, but I think it has a lot of power in it. If something maybe have a slightly different syntax, but kind of look the same, so you can put it side by side and tell the developers, look, this is that, and this is that, and this is that thing, and and compare the both uh, the both of the code uh, blocks. I think it makes it a lot more easier to get a better grasp of what is the new syntax is all about if it looks the same for starters. And then you introduce the new concept and build like layers on top of each other. So I think this is part of what I meant before about less painful migration path. And this is part of it. Uh, another part is, I think, building as much isomorphic JavaScript code. So trying to build your controllers or services as much as 
pure JavaScript or ECMAScript with as little as the framework bindings in it. So you will have like classes or functions, right, in ECMAScript 5 that you can just unit test and have single responsibilities and just plain JavaScript objects that do one thing that you can later like maybe change a little bit and make them work in future uh, versions. So I think this is also another part of making it less painful. But um, when I thought about my clients first and how can we... So I had clients with existing code base and I had clients with uh, new projects that they just starting with Angular. So they want to make it as future-proof as possible, right? You don't have the silver bullet, but you can try and make it uh, as close as possible. So I identified a few things that you can do in order to make it as close as possible to the future in my perspective. And I can share the outline or if you want to get into more specific stuff. So I just want to backtrack a little tiny bit. You mentioned uh, something about taking teams and lining up code side by side and explaining this is this is that is that. Mm -hmm. That reminded me of down in a out in Angie Vegas, uh, Patrick Stapleton was part of a talk on, of all things, creating D3 components with Angular 2 and TypeScript. But he actually did a very interesting thing where he brought up side-by-side -side code of Angular 2 and Angular 1, Angular 1 directives and Angular 2 components, and kind of compared them and showed how similar they could be. And I, th I think it's a great talk, and it was a great example of doing exactly that, like showing how quickly you can learn Angular 2 by comparing Angular the same Angular one same concepts in Angular 1 to the concepts in Angular 2 and looking at the code side by side. So again, I'll throw that talk into the show notes. Mm -hmm. But I also wanted to ask a question about preparing people emotionally for the change to Angular 2 and, you know, the developers getting themselves ready and then managers and enterprises getting them ready for the change to Angular 2. What can you talk about, like, about that? Yeah, so that's a good question. And I have, <laughs> I don't know if I told you this story before, but I have a funny story from, again, related to NG Europe announcement. So uh, did I tell you this in the last episode or no? I don't remember, okay. but maybe you did. No, I don't think. Just tell it again. Everybody, whatever audience is listening, and certainly <laughs> some of them haven't heard it. So <laughs> no, it's okay. So I was sitting at home watching the NGO videos, like with a bag of Doritos on my belly, like just staring at the screen and feeling excited about watching what's up with Angular. And I was seeing the, the video and I was working, I think, with four clients simultaneously as a consultant and that, at that time. And I was watching the... <laughs> the keynote and watching all the the jokes about we're going to kill the controllers we're going to kill the dollar scope and stuff like that and and i was like looking at the screen and my jaw dropped and i was like not thinking about because i got the jokes so i thought it was cute but I thought about my clients <laughs> and how they're going to react to it <laughs> because I like imagine the reaction and the, you know, chain reaction afterwards. And what, you know, <laughs> I was like getting a call from one of my clients and later on other <laughs> from the others, but one of the clients and I was like grabbing my head and I was trying to explain and getting like, <laughs> you know, 
worried questions about no and i was like with the phone no it's okay <sighs> no no i yeah i know i told you to use angular no you don't have to you know me explaining them like it was a joke relax and uh, no, please don't huh. don't go back to GWT. It's okay. You can stick with <laughs> you can stick with Angular. And <laughs> so I trained myself with answering this question afterwards when talking with new clients and guys from the JavaScript community here that were keep asking this question. So I think that a lot of people are emotionally worried about this change because. Simply because they don't invest the time into reading what this change is all about. And I understand why they don't invest the time because nobody have the time, right? We pick our ideas and our understandings from headlines, from blogs, from mm -hmm. uh, what people say. And all the blogosphere, right, uh, during that time was... Oh my God, Angular is dead. <laughs> they're going to stop the support and they're going to kill everything. And I was getting this every time and trying to explain to people, listen, it's not dead. It's a good change. They're changing stuff there that the hard parts that are currently in Angular 1.x and they're making them better. And if you will read... The, what the changes are all about and what is the motivation for these changes, you will get it that it's okay, it's, it's good, it's a good change. And only after I talked with people and explained them the, the changes and, the, and why they're so important and that they're not going to kill the, <laughs> the, the current uh, 1.x branch because you have, I think, because it's the most popular framework currently, uh, of web development, you have a lot of big companies uh, relying on this framework and the support, right? So they're not stupid. <laughs> they're, they're going to keep supporting it because they don't want to burn themselves in the JavaScript community, right? If they're going to pull the plug one day on everyone, they will cause a lot of damage and they know it and they know their responsibilities. So I did a parody movie uh, about it. Do you guys see this one? The, I called it a very, very short introduction to Angular 2.0. And it was my answer to all of the worried uh, question I that I got. So I'll put the link so you guys can see it. I think it's a good parody. But uh, yeah, I'm, uh, <laughs> I'm not very objective. Shai, yeah. I'd like to jump into kind of like the meat of getting ready for Angular 2 and the things that people should be doing to their code right now. Can we uh, start talking about that? No, I think we should uh, finish now the episode <laughs> and uh, once we're... Should end it now? Yeah, we're good. let's end it now. Okay, yeah. Uh, so I, I'll start by uh, like outlining what I think are the key parts that you can start doing. And if you have any question, uh, if you want to zoom in on part of the stuff, let me know. So the first thing you can do is talk in the beginning of the, this episode is to try and write your code as similar as possible to the future code. So this was my first episode that I did talking about only this comparison between uh, 1.0 code and 2.0 code and, uh, and ECMAScript 6. And th this is the first thing you can do. And in order to do it, 
there's a bunch of stuff you can actually start using right now. And most of them are in John Papa's style guide. And John Papa, uh, Lucas, John, John is here now, right? You do a good impression of John. It's me, John Papa. Hi, John. So, uh, yeah, I like your style guide. So, <laughs> Grazie. <laughs> John's also a plumber. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Part-time plumber. Uh, so, uh, yeah, so <laughs> a lot of stuff are in these style guides. So, first of all, using the IFI, the immediate invoke function expression, to wrap uh, your files and use the dollar inject annotation to simulate the annotations you will have in the future. And all of this stuff helps us minimize uh, or reducing our indentation level. So as you can see from examples of ECMAScript 6, you see very flat code structure. Classes and everything is pretty flat. And if we look at ECMAScript 5 code, we usually have these uh, pyramids of doom, right? Uh, that everything is nested, especially with the array notation uh, in the Angular components when we want to inject stuff. So this is one thing you can do right now to flatten your code structure. And this is my next video is going to talk about how to do it. Another thing you can do is stop using dollar scope. Only if you really, really need it, like if you want to add a manual dollar watch expression, you can use it, but stop using it. And the way to stop using it is to start using the controller as syntax. So you make your controller your actual binding object and not the dollar scope. And that way you can bind to directly on your controller object. And that way you get also code that much similar to the future. And uh, because in the future we won't have dollar scope. In Angular 2.0 we won't have dollar scope. There are other benefits of not using dollar scope, especially for beginning developers that don't really know it that well yet and the implication of what dollar apply does and the digest cycle and stuff like that and then can really like hurt the performance of the application if they misuse the methods on this uh, object on the dollar scope object so it's another thing because usually people like copy and paste solution from stack overflow and they don't really know the implications of copy and pasting and uh, so this is another reason to only use Doroscope when you need it. And another thing is people can do uh, in terms of directives is start building your application, your templates, start breaking them into what I call sections. Okay, so in Angular or in the future in general, we'll have components, right? Web components. And we, we're starting to see it now with Polymer and React and Angular 2. Also, we'll have components. It's like directives, right? But with Shadow Dome and, and all this uh, greatness. But now with some simple um, flags that we have bind to controller and stuff like that, we can simulate not one-to-one, -one, but we can try and simulate how things will look like. So in terms of our templates, so I can bet that most of the templates right now of one dot AX code, which is, I think, 100% of the <laughs> production uh, applications uh, now, you will find their long templates with a lot of divs and HTML and, and stuff like that, and like really, really long templates. And for a long time, I was 
also trying to figure out how to make templates less suck, <laughs> okay, in terms <laughs> of uh, lines of code and the complexity they have. And, and I, I tried to solve it with solutions like the UI router, where you can have like nested uh, UI views to implement your uh, state machine and bind your controller to the view, uh, which controller to which template. And for a long time, I was using that. And once I realized that the future is going to be templates that are pretty much built out of components. So instead of div and section and stuff like that, we will have like the menu and the product view and the, all this DSL, the main specific language that describes our components in our application. I realized that it hit me like, yeah, it's like clean code, right? You guys know clean code, the book. And it talks about when your function gets long, it's a code smell. So you need to see if you have like one responsibility and it's a hint for you to break your function into smaller functions that convey what's the story of this function. And so the same thing can be applied to templates with this component approach. So if I look at a big ass <laughs> template, okay, and see like 200 lines of template code, I can probably identify it, it as a code smell and maybe think, okay, maybe this stuff should be like the menu and maybe this stuff should be like a tab or maybe, you know, like a, this component, that component, stuff like that. And then break it into smaller components. And instead of using UI view or UI router to solve this problem, which its responsibility mainly is to connect the correct route to the correct component, okay? This is the main responsibility, I think, of the UI router is dealing with the routes, right? And not maybe hold the logic of which template needs to go with which controller. And from my experience, I didn't encounter that much the scenario that you have the same template with different controllers and stuff like that. Usually they go together. In my experience, maybe you guys have a different experience. So if we think of our templates in this new way, I like to separate it into our directives into two main parts. One part is our types. One type of directives I call sections, which are non-reusable directives. And the other type is components, which are reusable directives. So the components, I can pick and embed them in every template that I choose and they will work. I can plug in their data, I can hook to their method hooks and it will work just like a select box. But sections describe the non-reusable section in my application like pages. So a page can be constructed out of several sections that describe the page. And we can use tools like the UI router to decide that one of the sections is a replaceable section and it can be replaced different components depending on the 
specific routes. But in general, we can architect our application by thinking of the mockups we get from designers as sections and subsections. And that way you can start and create your directives and divide them into those two types, the components and the sections. And if you do them right now, your whole perception of how you develop Angular changes because you stop using ng-include, you stop using ng-controller, which is a good thing because they will be gone in the future. So it's a good idea to stop using them right now. And you get a whole easier template when you look at it because you don't see a bunch of divs with ng-include and ng-controller or ng-view and ng-guess what's go where. And you just see a semantically beautiful template that describes your application. So this is another thing you can do. If you want to build section directives, you should use the directive definition just to connect the controller and the template and add the three properties like bind to controllers, isolate scope, like scope object, and controller as, and that's it. You have a component, a section directive that you can use, and you just can treat its controller and template like you did the ng-include and ng-controller. So it's another step you take. It's not like easy as just putting a bunch of ng-include or ng-controller or tie down in the UI router or the state provider and stuff. But it's currently an extra step you take, but it's totally worth it in terms of the mental shift you need to do in order to prepare yourself. And as I understood, and I'm following it very closely, in Angular 1.5, I spoke with uh, Powell uh, about it, and I think he mentioned it in his talk in ng-conf. They're going to introduce, there is a proposal for angular.component alongside angular.directive, which does basically the same thing as I just described, but without the boilerplate code of bind to controller true and isolate scope and uh, controllers, you will just get the component and you just need to describe what the template is and what the controller is. And you will get the syntax similar to Angular 2. And this was my rant about templates. <laughs> <laughs> so you have any questions or I can uh, describe uh, more things that they can do? No, I think that was a really good explanation. We do need to wrap up here soon. Okay. So I can... We kind of hit all the main points here. Yeah, I, I can just sprinkle some more, <laughs> just uh, uh, headlines of stuff and not get in, into it. So another thing you can start doing is drop, if you don't actually really need jQuery or jQLite, you can start using uh, the native query selector and just drop jQuery because Angular 2 won't have jQuery. You can start also using .serv. I was a big fan of .factory for using services, but... I think that dot service is much more maybe suitable for the future. So it's another thing you can do. Another thing is watch closely the new Angular router, which is supposed to be backward compatible and work with 1.0 and also 2.0. And another big thing, and this I think you will like because I heard last few episodes where you talked about it, start using ECMAScript 6. Like start using tools like Babel or 
I'll second that. Or TypeScript compiler, but start using Webpack. what? Use I, I like Webpack. Webpack. Not that it's yeah. We use it with Babel. Okay. Love that. So mm. awesome. So start implementing these tools, the transpilers, into your current development flow. And if you're not using tools like Gulp or Grunt or something like that, start using it because uh, it's really easier with tools like Yeoman where you can generate and get like a pre-made Gulp file or Grunt file with all the best practices and start adding it. You can literally have pre-built Gulp file with Babel.js, which is a ES5 to ES6 uh, transpiler already baked into and running and you can have like a good running example set up in like 10 minutes and you can analyze it and see how you can fit it in your current workflow and start using ES6 now. So this will probably make your migration path much, much less painful. So this is another stuff, ES6 or I'm waiting for TypeScript 1.5 to come out and then I I'll start uh, <laughs> start to look at it. But these are a bunch of tips you can do. I have, as I said, I have a, a free course that I will go into more depth about how to actually do this stuff and what's the benefits and the whys and hows and stuff like that. And uh, another general tip is make sure you keep up to date with podcasts like this or newsletters like NG Newsletter and blogs and the documentation. Angular is doing a good job, I think, of trying in every conference and every blog and stuff like that to share as much as possible about the future plans and how things will look like to calm down everyone that it's here to stay. And uh, I really liked what Brad and Igor said in their keynotes that there will check the statistic about the new Angular 2.0 website which is called angular.io and the old one. And only when the statistics will show that no one really, really low percentage of people are using the old version of 1.x, like, I don't know, in two years or three years from now, I don't know how much time it will take. Only then they will drop the support on it. So I think it was a good step to calm everyone down that Angular is here to stay and, uh, yeah. That's it. <laughs> well, awesome. Yeah. All right. Well, let's uh, move on to our uh, picks. Shai, we've really had enjoying it on there. Uh, Kat, do you want to go first with the picks? Sure. I guess my pick is Princess Bride. The Princess Bride. Yeah, since no matter how many times we watch it, we keep watching it. <laughs> how many times have we seen that movie? A lot. We watched that movie a lot here. Oh, awesome. Nice. For my pick... I'm going to pick Visual Studio Code. I've been using it recently to screw around with some Angular stuff and some other front-end stuff. And, you know, it's a new little editor. It's very similar to uh, Sublime. It's cross-platform. And I really liked it. I thought it was neat. It's slick. It looks good. It works well. And still kind of learning the keyboard shortcuts for it. But I've really enjoyed it. So that'll be my pick for today. Shai, how about you? Oh, you put me on the spot. Uh-huh. Uh, <laughs> so just a quick tip for those Windows users who like better um, command line tool. I use when I work on my desktop, a tool called console two, 
So it gives tabbing and stuff like that. So it's a free little utility that gives you better, I think, uh, command line support. And if you don't already use WebStorm with the built-in terminal. <laughs> so uh, this is my pick. Cool. Awesome. Well, thanks again for being on the show, Shai. We really appreciate it. And as always, Angular 2 is a very hot topic. So we're grateful to have you on. And Lucas, unfortunately, had to drop off the call. So I'll uh, speak for him and saying <laughs> thanks. And for all the other panelists, of course. <laughs> we weren't able to be here. But thanks for coming on. We appreciate it. And I'm sure we'll see you again on the show before too long. <laughs> okay. Thank you, guys. It was fun. All right. Yep. Take care, Shai. Bye. See ya. And uh, we'll see everybody next week. This episode is sponsored by Mad Glory. You've been building software for a long time, and sometimes it gets a little overwhelming. Work piles up, hiring sucks, and it's hard to get projects out the door. Check out Mad Glory. They're a small shop with experience shipping big products. They're smart, dedicated, will augment your team, and work as hard as you do. Find them online at madglory.com or on Twitter at madglory. Hosting and bandwidth provided by the Blue Box Group. Check them out at bluebox.net. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com to learn more. Do you want to have conversations with the Adventures in Angular crew and their guests? Do you want to support the show? Now you can. Go to adventuresinangular.com slash forum and sign up today. 